Hi, Gary Zacharias again. Welcome to the Apologist Bookshelf. I'm going to go with an old standby this time. It's The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Good grief. What a series that he's come up with. The Case for Christ. The Case for Faith. The Case for a Creator. Um, case for Miracles. I've got them all. It's a wonderful idea. Being a journalist, of course, he went to the people who knew things and asked them questions put the questions together, and he went to some wonderful people. So I would like to do The Case for Christ. It's been around quite a while. I know people have uh, seen the movie and, and uh, seen um, Lee Strobel uh, make different appearances, places, and it's just a great book. I'm going to start actually with the, toward the end of it, uh, this last chapter. He calls this, this is chapter 14, the last uh, key chapter. He says, it's called the circumstantial evidence. Are there any supporting facts that point to the resurrection? Anything supporting? He says, well, you have indirect evidence and you got direct evidence. And direct evidence is just eyewitness testimony. But he said, you know what happens. People can lie. People uh, change their minds after time. But he said circumstantial evidence is indirect facts. And it can be a cumulative, powerful effect. And so he said, <clears throat> I'm thinking that any event as extraordinary as the resurrection of Jesus, if it really happened, there must be some indirect evidence to back it up. So who does he go to for his interview? J.P. Moreland. And Moreland is a terrific uh, speaker. He's a, a wonderful uh, writer, philosopher, and uh, he, he's got a background in science, actually. And he's uh, at Biola, at Talbot School of Theology. And so he says, uh, he sits down with Moreland. He says, okay, JP, can you give me five pieces of circumstantial evidence that convince you Jesus rose from the dead? So that's what we're going to look at here. What are these five pieces of evidence? And here we go. Number one, the disciples died for their beliefs. And Moreland says, you know, they abandoned everything they had and then, uh, you know, they, they were comfortable with and then they committed themselves to spreading a specific message that Jesus was the Messiah and that he died, but he rose again. And he said, you know, Muslims may die for their faith, but they don't know if it's true or not. Whereas these disciples were in a unique position, weren't they? They not just believed Jesus rose from the dead, but they knew it for sure. And so Strobel says this, people will die for their religious beliefs, when they're sincere and they hope they're true, but people are not going to die for their religious beliefs if they know they're false. Why would you die for something that's false? So, circumstantial evidence number one, the disciples died for their belief. Seems to be pretty solid evidence that that was the case. None of them went back and changed their mind. Here's evidence number two, the conversion of skeptics. And Moreland says, you know, there were a couple of hardened skeptics that didn't believe in Jesus before his crucifixion, but turned around and adopted the Christian faith after Jesus' death. And again, they gave up everything to follow this. And so the two that he's referring to, of course, would be James, the brother of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. And it says in the Gospels, you see that Jesus' family is really embarrassed by him. I mean, in ancient Judaism, it was really embarrassing for a rabbi's family not to accept him. So why would the gospel writers put that in their stories unless that wasn't true? And Moreland says later, the historian Josephus says that James was stoned to death because of his belief in the brother. 
Why did these two change, Paul and James? Because they met the resurrected Jesus. And I think about Paul for just a minute. He was a Pharisee. He had so much going for him. Schooled by the best, raised to be the best. He hated anything that interrupted his traditions of the Jewish people. But suddenly, he doesn't just ease off Christians. He joins their movement. Amazing. So we've got Jesus, uh, we've got James and Paul meeting Jesus and changing their lives completely. So number one, what happened? Disciples went to their deaths. <clears throat> number two, what happened? Skeptics were converted. Number three, and I'm going to break down three into uh, five areas, and that is what happened to key social structures among the Jewish people that became Christians? Moreland points out that, that what made the Jews Jews was social structure. That was so important to them. That gave them the foundation for their lives. And they believed that's what God had given to them. And all of a sudden, this rabbi, this unknown Jesus, shows up. Five weeks after he's crucified, over 10,000 Jews are following him. And they're willing to give up. Or they altered five of their social institutions that were so important to them. So what got changed? So this is still point number three. Change in the social structures. Like what? Well, number one, they'd been taught they had to do animal sacrifices. Jesus comes along, it's gone. Secondly, Jews said, you've got to obey the, God, the laws of God that had been entrusted to them through Moses. But pretty soon, after Jesus' death, they said, you don't become an upstanding member of their community just by keeping those laws. Well, that's a change. Here's a third social structure that changed, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is replaced on Sunday because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. No Jews are going to get rid of these things unless something earth-shaking has happened to them. Here's a fourth social structure that changed. Monotheism. The Jews believe there was one God. Well, Christians teach a form of that, but they say that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God. That's so different from what the Jews believed. They were worshiping Jesus. That's, that's just amazing. And then fifth, here's another social structure that changed. Jews had been trained to believe the Messiah was going to be a political leader. But that didn't happen. And now it's uh, a spiritual leader that they have in, in Jesus. So five things changed. So let's go back over again. Circumstantial evidence, number one, the death of the disciples. Seeing what they saw, they were still willing to go to their deaths, proclaiming Jesus. Second was the conversion of the skeptics, especially Paul or Saul as he was known at one time, and James, the brother of Jesus. And then the changes to the key social structures that the Jews latched onto so tightly the animal sacrifice and the law given through Moses and the Sabbath and monotheism and Jesus or the Messiah was supposed to be a political leader those all got changed here's number four communion and baptism so those Jewish elements kind of dropped away and we get the emergence of communion and baptism these early followers of Jesus just didn't get together and say what a wonderful person he was. They came to have a celebration to remember the way Jesus was put to death. They celebrated that death, that execution, because they were convinced that he had overcome that. And then we get baptism. Now, there was an early baptism from the Jews, but uh, this was Jews who baptized Gentiles and the authority of the God of Israel, but in the New Testament, people are baptized 
in the name of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They had elevated Jesus to the full status of God, and they were celebrating his death, just like communion. Going under the water, that's death being brought out. You're celebrating the fact that Jesus was, was risen uh, by newness of life. So, no, by the way, Moreland says, you know, there's all this stuff about mystery religions and that maybe Christianity adopted some of these ideas. He said, no, there's no hard evidence that any mystery religion believed in God's dying and rising. And that was after the New Testament period when they started bringing it in. So who influenced whom? Well, it was the mystery religions that borrowed from Christianity. So there are the five. Uh, they're the, uh, sorry, that's the fourth, uh, the communion, baptism. And then the fifth piece of evidence is the emergence of the church. And I thought, Moreland says something pretty interesting. He said, you know, if you were a Martian, you're looking down in the first century, who do you think was going to survive, Christianity or the Roman Empire? He said, you wouldn't put much money on a ragtag group of people who was putting out a message that a crucified carpenter from an obscure village had triumphed over the grave. But um, that's amazing, and that's five pieces of evidence. So let's go over them one more time. The change in the disciples, uh, as far as willing to go to their death with great optimism because they had seen something amazing. The conversion of those skeptics, especially uh, Paul and uh, James. And, of course, the changes to the Jewish structure. The animal sacrifices are gone. Uh, the law of Moses is not going to save you like Sabbath, the belief in monotheism, uh, the Messiah is a political leader. Those things got changed. And what came out instead was communion and baptism and the emergence of the church. And so the end of the chapter that says, uh, Marlon says, you know, I, we could add even one more thing, and that's how many millions of people have encountered Jesus, the risen Jesus, in their lives. And he talks about himself. He said he was a cynical chemistry major, and then he was confronted with the fact that, uh, that these claims of Jesus were real. And so he said there's plenty of evidence for him to believe in. And Moreland ends up in the chapter here saying, in three decades, I've had hundreds of specific answers to prayers. I've had things happen that simply cannot be explained by natural explanations. And I've experienced a changed life beyond anything I could have imagined. So um, he says, you know, People can accept the evidence of the resurrection, but they've, maybe they don't take the final step of testing it in their own lives. And they said that's where it, the, the rubber hits the road there. So that's uh, the last chapter of the book, last big chapter. And you know that there are other good things in this book as well. We'll come back to it. I also want to touch on some of his other books, like The Case for Miracles. So we'll get to that too. Well, thanks again, Gary Zacharias. Hope you enjoyed this. And uh, we'll take another uh, look here at uh, some other book coming up soon. Thank you.